Hello everyone, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am here to talk to you guys about everything that happened within the week of professional wrestling, stuff that come from the WWE, stuff that came from AEW, stuff that came from Impact Wrestling, because this week was a real uh, busy week in the world of professional wrestling. You got news out of AEW, you got news out of uh, WWE, as we all know, the biggest thing that came out of WWE this week was Cody's decision based off of what happened last Friday with Cody and The Rock and Roman Reigns, but I'll get to that in a minute. But I want to talk about Impact Wrestling first, because Impact Wrestling, um, it came with a big shockwave from within Impact. Uh, It came to a head that Scott Demore, the man that was leading the charge from Impact during his dark days from the COVID time in the 2020 to them being rebirthed as TNA, he has been fired by Anthem, the company that owns TNA. He has been fired. He's out of his job. And they have placed a guy that works in Anthem as the president, the guy that's going to be running TNA. And with that news coming out, you had a lot of TNA wrestlers coming out and showing their support for Scott Demore. You had guys like Moose uh, mentioning how this was a sad day for him, how he has to move off the internet for a couple of days. You had guys like AJ Francis, who just came into TNA, talking about how he met Scott and how Scott uh, had nothing but glowing reviews for him and how he had nothing but glowing reviews for Scott Demore. You had Trinity, or better known as Naomi, who just uh, tweeted out how nobody plays with Scott or nobody messes with Scott, meaning that she and everybody in Impact love Scott. Um, And you had more other TNA uh, wrestlers giving their support to Scott Demore. So with Scott Demore leaving TNA, it's going to cause a ripple effect that I'm not certain how the fan base is going to uh, feel because they already taped their shows in advance. But the new shows are supposed to be coming, I believe, within what, in another couple weeks because they've got to to, do... do their, I believe it's No Surrender event that's coming up. That's going to be the first, I believe, the first actual event without Scott Demore at the helm of TNA. So it's going to be real interesting to see how the wrestlers are going to be dealing with this, how uh, just personnel is going to be dealing with it. Because I'm pretty sure there's going to be stories, there's going to be some uh, illusions, not illusions, but some type of uh, inklings just leaking out of TNA to see how personnel is doing backstage, how everybody's doing with this guy, Anthem, now running TNA. So it was going to be real interesting, but that was the big thing coming out of TNA. Um, On their episode this week, there was nothing real big to really come out of it. I believe this week was uh, Trinity's last actual appearance on TNA, the actual show. Since she's now back in WWE, Trinity teamed up with Jordan Grace to go against Giselle Shaw and Savannah Evans. That was a great match. You had Alex Shelley going against Eddie Edwards in the main event. That was a great match. You had Chris Saban going against uh, John Schuyler, which was a good match. Um, You had Zachary Wentz going against Mike Bailey, which was a good match. And you had Trent Seven making his uh, TNA official debut. Since he's now signed with TNA, he wasn't able to be at the hard kill of it because he has some travel issues. So Trent Seven's now in TNA. Um, just, But the show in general was good, but there was nothing like really big to come out of it. But 
go ahead and watch it. He had some good matches on there, but those were the only things that really happened with TNA this week. Uh, moving into AEW, AEW this week, uh, the focal point of it was Swerve Strickland and Hangman Page. That opened up the episode. You had Swerve and Hangman. This was to see who was going to go against Samoa Joe at AEW Revolution for the AEW World Championship. And by God, Swerve and Hangman, those two guys just don't miss. They had an excellent uh, matchup, and it ended in a 30-minute draw, and the kicker was Hangman did not, and he was not able to beat Swerve. Swerve, he was literally at the cusp of beating Hangman when he just hit the JML driver and the referee was about to hit the three, but the bell rings and the timekeeper, well, the time uh, announcer, Justin Roberts, he would have let everyone know that the time has expired. I mean, Swerve was so close to beating Hangman, and that's the funny thing. Swerve has beaten Hangman two times out of the three times they have met. This is the third time they're meeting here. Hangman has never beaten Swerve. Never. And the kicker for this as well is nobody from the Mogul Embassy interfered in this match. Swerve told Prince Nana on AEW Collision last Saturday that he did not want nobody from the Mogul Embassy to interfere because he did not want to hear Hangman have another excuse for not winning against Swerve. And I thought that was Swerve just giving out Nana a dog whistle when he made that uh, proclamation. I thought he was basically giving the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, don't have nobody come out there to help me. I thought he wanted someone to come out, but no, he meant every word because you saw Nana, he wanted to help Swerve out, but then he didn't help him out to get him up at anything. When Swerve was down on the mat outside the ring, you saw Nana doing the whole little Swerve dance to kind of like charge up Swerve and get him in good faith to get him back into the ring. And Hangman, he has gotten so deranged with Swerve now that he cracked Nana in the back with a chair. And that got the fans booing Hangman more and more because people liked the presentation of Swerve and Nana as this package dealing. Um, but long story less long, Swerve didn't beat Hangman. Hangman didn't beat Swerve. After the match was done, you saw Swerve, he asked for the microphone, he says, nope, that's not how we're ending this, I want five more minutes, the typical wrestling trope, five more minutes, and Hangman, he doesn't give it a Swerve, he says, you had to beat me, and you couldn't, you're never going to get that AEW World Championship matchup, and you see Hangman leave the ring, he starts going up the ramp, Tony Schiavone, he would get off of the commentary uh, table and get a microphone and he would announce that he got word from Tony Khan that Tony Khan has made this thing official at AEW Revolution it will be Samoa Joe going against Hangman going against Swerve in a triple threat for the AEW World Championship and you just see Hangman on the freaking ramp just losing his mind he says that Swerve didn't beat me he didn't beat me so this tells you how much unhinged Hangman really is with Swerve. Swerve, he wasn't crying about it. He was just laughing in the ring, in the corner, because Swerve got what he wanted. He wanted to be the next guy to go against Samoa Joe for the AEW World Championship, and he got it. 
while Hangman, his, his whole obsession is Swerve. He wants to make Swerve does not accomplish his goal of being an AEW World Champion. And with Swerve not beating Hangman in this match, Swerve thought he got, no, not Swerve, excuse me, Hangman thought that he got his wish. Swerve not getting that championship opportunity, but with Shivani making the match, that blew up in Hangman's face. So now it's going to be a triple threat match for the AEW World Championship. And you saw later in the night, Samoa Joe, he was upset. He was upset that mediocrity rules again and how he feels that the owner has something against him because, again, it was supposed to be someone wins the match between Swerve and Hangman. That's the thing that Samoa Joe's hooked up on. So now he has to face two guys instead of one, and he finds this unfair, but he still thinks that he's going to find a way to still come out as your AEW World Champion when Revolution comes about. Now, just for my best benefit, and I think this is a way that we can easily solve this, I think, and this is just my way of spending this, at Revolution, in the triple threat match between Swerve, Hangman, and Samoa Joe, I'm laying it out like this. We do the trip, typical triple threat. You have sometimes Hangman and Swerve kind of working together to take out the bigger threat of Samoa Joe. And then you go have those two basically duke it out again. But towards the end of the match, you see Swerve get choked out into Coquina Clutch by Samoa Joe. I don't care how you make it happen. You get it to happen. And you see Hangman, he has an opportunity to break it up. But he doesn't. He allows Samoa Joe to choke out Swerve. And in the mix of that, you see Hangman just staring at Swerve and shouts to him, I told you, I'm going to make sure you never become AEW World Champion. You never accomplish your dream. You never get a sniff on that championship as Swerve is drifting into unconsciousness the last thing that swerve sees is hangman just constantly berating him hangman doesn't care about samoa joe that's the big thing with this hangman does not care about samoa joe hangman wants that world championship but right now his main focus his obsession is swerve so why not do that it keeps swerve looking strong because swerve didn't tap out he goes out just trying to fight for his life you have Samoa Joe still being the AEW World Champion. And you have Heyman Page being the most despicable human being. Because right now, everybody loves Swerve. Everybody wants to see Swerve accomplish his dream. Swerve has constantly made it out in the public. And he's been saying it constantly how he wants to be the first ever AEW uh, World Champion. That's a black man. He wants to represent the blacks for this. And you have Heyman taking this away from him. Because he could easily break up this submission, but he doesn't. He allows it to happen, and he sees Swerve gasping for air. So we fully execute the double turn, because we're already in that phase by now. By the way, for people that don't know what a double turn is, it's when one bad is when, in a story, you start off with a bad guy going against a good guy. But during that story that you see, the bad guy ends up turning to be the good guy, while the good guy turns out to be the bad guy in it. And in this case right here, Originally, Swerve was the bad guy going against Hangman, but as the story is continuing on right now, you're starting to see Hangman turn more into the bad guy while Swerve's turning more into a good guy. Not because of what Swerve is doing. It's because he's able to fight. He's able to 
say what he wants to do, and he ends up doing it, and the fans react to it in such a positive way, and you see Hangman losing his mind. He doesn't see how people actually are gravitating to Swerve. That's how this thing is happening between Hangman and Swerve. So again, that's just my idea for how they want to end, how I personally would like to see uh, the match end at Revolution in the Triple Threat. They still got some weeks to go to lead up to it, but that's my vision for uh, that triple threat to end at Revolution. But again, that's just my vision. If someone hears it from AEW and this happens, I'll be great because, again, it keeps all three men looking strong, and I don't think nobody will complain about how the finish would uh, be looked and be presented. I think everybody will say, okay, that all makes sense, but we'll see. We'll uh, see what happens. Also, on the episode of Dynamite this week, Tony Khan's big announcement was that uh, coming in, I believe, either March or April, uh, AEW will be going to Boston, and the show is going to be called uh, Big Business. And I think Okada is going to make his debut, but I am certain that Mercedes Monet, formerly known as uh, Sasha Banks, she will be making her debut in AEW since this is in Boston, and you can see on AEW's uh, Twitter page or even their Instagram page, whenever they're promoting this show, it has on the side, it says Boss Ton, the same way that when Sasha Banks went to WWE and WWE would market the Boston area and had Sasha Banks merchandise, it would say Boss Ton, so that already is given the little wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the fans that she's going to be making her appearance there in AEW in Boston. So Mercedes Monet, she's going to be in Boston. I can't wait to see it. And I think personally Okada is going to be there because the whole uh, Rainmaker gimmick kind of works with big business. So that's my opinion. Mercedes Monet, Okada, he's going to be there and she's going to be there in AEW, but Mercedes, definitely going to be there. Okada, I'm not certain if he's going to be there at that event, but I think he should make his debut as well on that show as well. But uh, that was Tony Khan's big announcement. Uh, what else came out of this episode? Oh, yes. Uh, the feud with Blackpool Combat Club going against CMLL is still happening. Uh, we had Brian Danielson going against a luchador on Collision last Saturday, which was a good match. But Brian Danielson, he ends up getting the win after that. And you saw the luchadors coming in, attacking Brian from that. Claudio, he would run out to make the save, which would lead into Dynamite this week. You had the trios match of John Moxley, Claudio, and Brian going against uh, three representatives of CMLL. Again, Blackpool Comic Club will win, but they will win by devious methods here. Claudio would uppercut one of the uh, luchadors in the nuts and get the win that way. And the luchadors from CLL that were watching this from the barricade, they would jump the barricade, get in the ring, start attacking uh, Blackpool Combat Club. And then you start seeing representatives from the AEW locker room come down. And again, it's starting to see now AEW going against CMLL. And I think this could be a bigger situation at hand if they bring Roosh into this equation, and Roosh would be the front man for CMLL. Roosh and his crew would be the guys that would defect from AEW to CMLL to be the front guys, because Roosh, he has a long-lasting uh, relationship with CMLL. 
he started in CMLL. So I think that would be great. I think that would make a lot of sense. But again, it's all of what they want to do with that. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, oh, yeah. At the end of Dynamite, you will see Sting and Darby Allen win the AEW World Tag Team Championships off of Ricky Starks and Big Bill in a uh, Texas Tornado tag match. So Darby and Sting are your new tag team champions. It, it was a feel-good moment because Sting had both of his sons front row watching this. Again, this is Sting's last hurrah. He has until Revolution, because Revolution will be his last time uh, wrestling before he officially retires from the pro wrestling business. So Sting winning the AEW Tag Team titles with Darby as an undefeated tag team. It feels good. It feels great to see this. Um, Sting gets his kid in there. Well, his kids, his two grown kids, sons in there. They hug his, uh, their father. And then you see the Bucks, Matthew and Nicholas Jackson. They come down and they attack Sting and Darby from behind with white bats. And they're all covered in white, white suits and everything. So let me tell you this right now. Here's another wrestling trope for anybody when you watch professional wrestling. If you see a person come down in all white, all white gear, just know Either they're going to bleed or they're going to make their opponent bleed and they're going to get that blood on them because it makes a great uh, visual shot of how much you made your opponent bleed, how uh, barbaric this situation is. And that's what happened. You saw Darby Allen get busted open in this and Darby Allen's blood got smeared all over Matthew's uh, outfit and all over Nick's outfits. They were wearing... Uh, Darby's blood as they were beating up both Darby, Sting, and they put a beat down on Sting's kids as well. And they made their attentions very clear at the end of it that they're coming after Sting and Darby for the AEW Tag Team Championships. And to make it even more clear, Matthew and Nick, they had a match on Rampage against two scrubs. They end up beating them. And also, side note, the entrance music for Matthew and Nick, they have like a rip-off imitation version of the Secession uh, entrance type music. So if you hear side by side, you can see where they got inspiration from. So this tells you the type of time that the Bucks are on. They didn't do any flippy type of moves. So this tells you we're really in a different era for the Bucks in this. They wore the same bloody attire that they war whenever they beat up on Sting and Darby in this matchup. Uh, after the match, they let it be known yet again they're going after the AEW Tag Team titles and how they're going to have a match next week on Dynamite and that they're not going to be using their EVP positions to just get a title shot. They're going to be climbing the ranks. They're going to do it the right way. And it was confirmed that the Bucks will be going against Top Flight next week on Dynamite. So this is going to start the progression for the Young Bucks to climb up the ranks to be the number one contender for the tag team titles, which we know that's going to happen. So uh, expect Darby staying to go against the Bucks at Revolution for the AEW Tag Team Championships as well. Anything else big major to come out of AEW this week? Nope. I think that's it. Okay, now let's go over to WWE. I don't think I need to waste any longer with this. Uh, WWE this week. Uh, Raw. Wasn't nothing big that happened on Raw this week. Raw was basically leading up to the big press conference that happened on Thursday. 
because on Raw, you had Seth Rollins calling Cody out because he wanted to get an answer officially from Cody about who he was going to challenge for, uh, for at WrestleMania in the main event, whether it was going to be himself or Roman Reigns. Cody comes out, and before he even say a word, out walks Drew McIntyre, who has a new shirt, who is clowning CM Punk. It's Drew McIntyre's head uh, plastered onto someone else's body, kneeling at a gravesite, and on the tombstone it reads, CM Punk WrestleMania Dreams 2024 to 2024. So, again, Drew's healing it up, being a bad guy at this moment here. Uh, Drew is telling Cody to finish his story, go after Roman, don't go after Seth, because uh, Drew wants the World Heavyweight Championship spot for himself, so that's where we're going with this. Uh, what else? Cody had a bull rope match against Shinsuke Nakamura on the main event of Raw. Cody wins that after the match. Drew McIntyre attacks Cody. The Sami Zayn comes down to make the save. That's how Raw will end. Uh, then we would go into the press conference. Press conference, if you haven't seen it, I'm just going to make a short swimple for you. Seven Rollins comes out, green suit. He says, all right, everybody's here. It's time for an announcement. It's time to see what's going to happen at WrestleMania in the main event. And you think Cody Rose will come out first? Nope. Roman Reigns comes out. Roman Reigns comes out with Paul Heyman. Roman is there saying that uh, Cody's time has passed by. The opportunity was there. He didn't uh, capture it. He didn't take up on it. So that opportunity has gone by the wayside. And Roman Reigns would make his choosing. And he would say, my decision for WrestleMania, my WrestleMania opponent is going to be The Rock. And shocking to me, you had people actually cheering The Rock's name. Since this press conference was in Las Vegas, since we're in WWE, the whole WWE fandom has been yelling for, we want Cody. But when he said The Rock, you got some applauses in there. So I was kind of shocked seeing that and hearing that. So The Rock comes out. The Rock's gigs a mixed reaction. Again, we just heard Roman call for The Rock. People were cheering, but once The Rock really comes out and his music stops playing, you start hearing the mixed reaction for the boos and the yays. You hear the We Want Cody's. And when The Rock's trying to talk, you still hear the We Want Cody's. And to The Rock's, to the Rock's best effort, I'm not going to say the best efforts, to The Rock's being one of the best mic talkers that has come through the WWE or just come through professional wrestling in general. The Rock said, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you the Cody Crybabies. And he's mentioning the people that has been chanting, we want Cody nonstop, whether it's on social media, uh, hounding WWE's YouTube page, and even hounding the professional wrestlers themselves on Twitter, even harassing The Rock's daughters. And by the way, I want to take a quick moment to mention this. There are a difference between fans and people that are deranged when you watch the WWE or professional wrestling product, okay? Fans are people that watch the product, can make their decision on what they want to see and not see, can say, hey, oh, this thing sucks, or they uh, like what they see, and they can express this, express themselves in their opinions, in a respectful way and manner without personally attacking the person that's playing the character or personally uh, 
just the persons themselves, even on social media. They can respectfully have discourse and all that type of stuff with these individuals, okay? People that are deranged are people that will send death threats, people that will constantly harass people that has nothing to do with the storyline that's happening or anything like that. For example, people were harassing The Rock's daughter on Twitter this whole entire week to the point that she had to deactivate her Twitter because it got too much for her. And I was waiting for The Rock to personally grill, and I mean lambaste, the Cody crybabies at that event. And again, I am a Cody guy. I like Cody. I like Cody since his undashing, uh, matter of fact, no, scratch that. I like Cody since his dashing character. That's when I really started getting on the Cody bandwagon. And ever since then, I've been a Cody guy. But even I can even at least say, yo, dog, let this thing play out. Let the storyline play out. Let's see where the WWE, Cody, Roman, The Rock is taking us. But again, that's off the side note here, getting back to The Rock and the press conference and all that type of stuff. Rock comes out there. He says, Cody Crybaby's cool. Rock has a picture behind them on the big Titantron, and it shows the his whole family lineage, showing the whole family tree from the Rock side to the Fatu, the Anawaii side. You get what I mean? The whole legit Samoan tribe-like tree. And Roman Reigns would say, I don't know whether you guys see this or not, or whether you guys believe this or not, but you guys got to know this is the strongest, most dominant royal family in professional wrestling. And you don't have to like it, but you have to acknowledge it. So Rock is fully leaning into AO. This is the family that runs the wrestling business this is what it is. And he would say, I'm going against Roman Reigns because we are bound by blood. And you would see Roman and Rock dap up at that moment. And that's when Cody would come out. Cody would comes out and he starts saying, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't going to happen. This ain't it. No, 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 no. Cody would cut all that crap short and he would make it sweet. I am challenging Roman Reigns at WrestleMania for the WWE Championship, and it kind of, it kind of puts a lot of people at a strange footing when he says this because people just got done watching SmackDown last week, where Cody stepped aside to The Rock, so The Rock can potentially have this match with Roman, and you had people just flustered and, oh my God, what's Cody doing this? When is this and that? Why is Cody? Listen, Cody. Said it point blank. I had people talk in my ears. I had advisors. I had The Rock talk in my ear. It's easy for Cody to be manipulated at this point. But once Cody saw The Rock and Roman dap up, that's when Roman and The Rock kind of triggered something in Cody's head to make Cody say, nah, this isn't happening. So when Cody says, I'm facing Roman at WrestleMania for the WWE Championship, Roman starts saying, nope, you had your opportunity, you had it last year, you had your story, it didn't work out for you, that's it, that's done, you are only a chapter in my book, it's time for me to move on, I'm facing The Rock at WrestleMania, and you can be nothing just like your father. And once Roman says that, Cody has a little grin on his face, and he mentions to Rock and Roman, 
more specifically Roman, but this is when The Rock gets into it. Cody mentions to them, you guys are battling for what? Who's the head of the table? It doesn't even matter when you two hardly are even here to even do the cooking for this. And he goes further and says, okay, so you want to bring up my father. Let's talk about your family tree here. Where's Jay? And you see Roman start getting a little perturbed by this because Cody brought Jay out of the bloodline. Cody was able to make Jay realize that Jay is more than a lackey. And Jay came to the realization of that. So now he's out of the bloodline. He's not aligned with Roman. He's not doing the bidding of Roman. He's not being one of Roman's goons the same way that Cody was saying constantly, even last year, that Jay will leave. Jimmy will leave. Solo will leave. Paul will leave. So this kind of goes into that whole thing that Cody said last year. So when Cody says this, Roman has a sourpuss face. And he says to Roman Point Blake, if your grandfather was here, and if the high chief Peter Maivia was here, right now, they will look at you and they will say you are a disgrace to your family. And once Roman hears that, and once Rock hears what Cody just says, the Rock kind of walks up on Cody and he lets him know, when you talk about his blood, you're talking about my blood. Now we have a problem. And then you see The Rock slap Cody, and you start seeing Cody want to get after The Rock, but that's when you see uh, Triple H, Nick Aldis, and Adam Pearce, and probably some more people backstage coming in to kind of separate Cody from The Rock and Roman Reigns. And at that moment, you see Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins even has the back of Cody. He wants to get at Roman Reigns and The Rock because he sees that the Roman and Rock are just trying to use their leverage, use their uh, power to just infiltrate the WrestleMania main event. Seth, he doesn't like it. And you start seeing Rock mouth off to both Cody and Seth. Watch your mouth about my family. Don't ever talk about my family again. And you see Cody get took off the stage. Seth, he gets took off the stage. And you see Triple H even getting at Paul and said that The Rock crossed the line. And it goes backstage further. And it shows on a YouTube clip. You see Triple H uh, being interviewed, and you see The Rock and Roman walk up to Triple H, and Rock talks. Roman, he's just in the background, and Rock says, you better handle this. You better handle this crap, and they had to bleep it, but he says the S word on it, and he mentions how, again, Cody went out of line, talking about his family. You better handle this before we have to handle this, and when he means we, he's talking about himself and Roman Reigns. You see Cody... Not in this shot. You don't see Cody nowhere around this. You see The Rock and Roman leave. You see Triple H looking at them as they leave. And he kind of not gives a smirk, but you kind of can see the wheels turning in Triple H's head. Which leads us into Friday Night Smackdown. Friday Night Smackdown will literally start with Triple H being in the ring with Nick Aldis and Adam Pearce. And Triple H will let it be known point blank. I don't know what people are thinking, but let me make this perfectly clear. I think people don't know their roles, and I think people are trying to assert their authority in this type of stuff. Again, a play on words here. And he will say, the book stops here with this guy right here. And he points at himself because Triple H says that he has the power. He's the guy that wields all this stuff here. And he doesn't care what 
position you sit at the table, which he's making a reference to both Roman, who's supposed to be the head of the table, and The Rock, who is a board member on the TKO board, Triple H basically says, this is mine, I run this, and people do what I say that they're going to do. And he makes it official. At WrestleMania, it will be Cody Rhodes going against Roman Reigns. And now we are officially on the road to WrestleMania. So we have that official Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And it will be known by Paul Heyman. When Paul Heyman talks to Triple H later in the night. That next week on SmackDown, both Roman Reigns and The Rock will be there. So this whole thing between Roman, Rock, Cody, and even Triple H isn't over. Because I could probably see this at WrestleMania. Uh, Roman Reigns with The Rock in his corner with Cody probably either with Triple H or I saw someone mention this on Twitter and I don't I'm not hating this idea with Stone Cold Steve Austin being in uh, Cody's corner because Stone Cold was the biggest rival of The Rock during the Attitude Era besides Triple H but when you think of Rock you think of Austin and when you think of Austin you think of two people either McMahon or The Rock but in ring competition, you'll think of The Rock. So, that would be great too. It all depends on where they want to go with this. But if they have Triple H be in the corner of Cody, I wouldn't mind that neither. So, I see that all that stuff coming together probably around next week on SmackDown. But again, they're probably saving up that big announcement, everything like that, for who's probably going to be in Cody's corner in this big main event, probably until after Elimination Chamber, because they still got the Chamber pay-per-view to get... Uh, together. And also, by the way, so speaking of the Chamber pay-per-view, uh, it was announced that Nia Jax will be facing Rhea Ripley at the Elimination Chamber, and that since both championships for SmackDown have a match at WrestleMania with Bailey going against EO and Cody going against Roman Reigns for the WWE Championship, the Elimination Chamber, both matches at the Chamber pay-per-view, will be determining who will be going against uh, Seth and Rhea for their respective titles at WrestleMania. For Seth, the qualifying matches that happened this week were uh, AJ Styles going against Drew McIntyre, and Drew McIntyre beat AJ. Randy Orton going against Sami Zayn, and Randy beat Sami Zayn. So Drew and Randy are the two men first entering uh, the World Heavyweight Championship Elimination Chamber match. Those are two men that have qualified. The other slots will be filled out next week on Raw and SmackDown when you see Bronson Reed going against Bobby Lashley. Ivar going against LA Knight, Dominic Mysterio going against Kevin Owens, and Logan Paul going against The Miz. So that's for the Raw Men's Chamber. For the Raw Women's Chamber, you have uh, Becky Lynch, who already qualified because she beat Shayna Baszler. You have Bianca Belair, who has qualified because she beat Mia Yim. Meechin on SmackDown, and the next qualifying match will happen uh, next week as well, as Liv Morgan will be going against Zoe Stark, you will have Tiffany Stratton going against Shotzi, and you have Naomi going against uh, Selena Vega, and by my calculations, that's only what, one, two, three, four, five, that's five people, by that roughly, will be inside the chamber, so there will be one more person that has to be a mystery inside that, and as was speculated, it'll probably be Jay Cargill going into the chamber, and if so, that'll be great. Jay Cargill, I think she needs to be put on the main roster. If you don't put her on the main roster, hurry up and put her on NXT so she can already start 
being in the program to be the next NXT Women's Champion, but I don't think they're going to do that. I think they want to put Jay Cargill on the main event uh, roster, so this will be the perfect inclusion for her if she does be that sixth woman for the chamber, but we got to wait and see what happens there. And what else? Judgment Day. The tag team titles will be defended. Finn and Damian Priest will be defending those titles against uh, Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate because Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate defeated DIY, who DIY, they qualified when they won a fatal four-way matchup, which was a good matchup on Raw this past week. It was DIY, um, The New Day, The Creed Brothers, and Imperium. Those were the four teams in that fatal four-way. DIY won that. They had to go against Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate on this episode of SmackDown, which was a fine, a fine uh, tag matchup. And you saw, but not Butch, God, Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate won that. So there you go. Um, anything else from the Nation Chamber right now? I think that's about it. Uh, anything else on the main roster? Oh, yes. Another thing. Uh, Bailey, she came out. It seemed like Bailey's back to being... Good with the people, at least for now. And you will see Dakota Kai come out. And Bailey, at this moment, she doesn't know she could tr- trust Dakota Kai. And she will ask Dakota, where was she last week? Dakota let Bailey know that she was at her doctor's last week because she has to constantly get her knee checked out and has she's on the road to recovery and how she's almost at 100%. And during that, Bailey doesn't trust Dakota Kai. She doesn't trust her yet until you see EO and the Kabuki Warriors come out. You see the ring being surrounded. Dakota leaves the ring and Bailey's just by herself. And then you see Dakota come back in with a chair and she's behind Bailey. It looks like she's setting up to hit Bailey behind uh, her back. Bailey would turn around to look at Dakota. Dakota would run with the chair and Bailey would duck. Dakota would try to swing at EO. EO would drop off the ring apron. Uh, Dakota would run off to Asuka. Asuka would duck off the ring apron. Same thing over to Kyrie Sane. Kyrie would duck. And it seems that Dakota Kai has sided with Bailey at this moment, but this could all be a swerve. This could just be another plan of uh, damage control to get Bailey off of her game. We'll have to wait and see. But I am enjoying what they're doing right now because, again, they already got the match set up for WrestleMania with Bailey and Io set up. So. Again, they got nothing but time to commit to the story and what they're doing with these two. So hopefully we get that. And I believe that's all that happened on SmackDown this week as well. Now, that was the main roster stuff for SmackDown and Raw, the main roster. On NXT, the big story to come out of that since we came out of Vengeance Day was Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. First, NXT was starting with Carmelo Hayes coming out to the ring. And you think he's going to say something. But he doesn't. He leaves. He goes to the back. And later in the night, you would hear from Carmelo Hayes. Carmelo Hayes would do the whole Eddie Guerrero, uh, Batista moment, sitting in the middle of the ring inside the, with on the chair, excuse me, and having the spotlight right on him. And Carmelo Hayes would explain that Trick Williams was always basically his sidekick. He was never supposed to be the front man. He was always supposed to be uh, Mello's hype man, no more, none less, and how they had a plan and how Trick deviated from the plan. How Mello was always supposed to go after the NXT Championship and Trick was supposed to go after the North America Championship, but Trick fell into the fans' hype of hyping 
Trick up so much that Trick deviated from that and went after the NXT Championship, and that made Carmelo Hayes upset. And Carmelo Hayes would constantly say he's not jealous, even though his reasonings for everything is out of jealousy because the fans are hyping up him, a uh, Trick, how the fans are loving him, how he's no longer just being his hype man, how he's now being the guy with the spotlight. All this is literally jealousy, right? And then as Melo is explaining everything. Trick Williams' music would hit, and you see Melo look over, and you see Melo get out the chair as he's expecting Trick to come out. Now, the fans are hyped. They can't wait for Trick to come out. They start doing the whole Whoop That Trick soundtrack, just start chanting it over and over, and no Trick Williams. Then the camera will pan back to Melo in the middle of the ring. He's laughing and doing the whole Whoop That Trick along with the people, and he's got him. He got the people. He suckered you in. And he says, man, Trick ain't here. He's in a hospital bed next to Booker T singing that dumb butt song. And again, he will let Trick Williams know yet again, you will always be my number two. You will always be behind me. And that's all it is. And that's all it ever is going to be. So we have that station from Mello there, right? Ilya Dragunov, he has a beef with Mello because Ilya considers Trick at least a guy that he respects and at least a guy that he admires because Trick stood out for himself. Trick did not continue to be Mello's number two. He actually was able to break out of that, be a big star for himself, and actually wanted something more. So when he had his opportunity against Ilya and he saw how Trick was being manipulated by Mello and how Mello attacked Trick, Ilya's out here to call Melo out, and he doesn't get it. Instead, Dijak would come out. Dijak would get at Ilya and ask Ilya, why are you in their business? You need to be focused on yourself, and you need to be focusing on me, because I want that NXT championship. And this leads to a back and forth between Ilya and Dijak. Dijak will punch Ilya in the middle of his forehead. Down goes Ilya. Sets up for a main event matchup between Ilya and Dijak. No uh, championship matchup on the line. This is just a straight non-title match. Uh, Ilya would win by uh, distraction because and also interference by Joe Gacy. Because once uh, Ilya is down on the mat, the referee's checking on Ilya. Dijak, like he looks to be having his head outside of the ring for a minute. Joe Gacy, he'll pop up from underneath the ring, and he has a boxing glove on a stick, and he would just basically punch Dijak in the face with it. And this will lead Dijak to kind of going down on the mat, letting Ilya hit an H-bomb, and then win the match off of Dijak. So Ilya wins the match, holds up the NXT title. Carmelo Hayes, he would attack Ilya from behind, clipping him behind the knee, put the boots to him, then hold up the NXT championship in the air. So this lets you know Carmelo Hayes is going after the NXT Championship, and Ilya isn't going to hold on to it for so long. That's the way that uh, Carmelo sees it. So we have that set up, and I think we probably might even get a triple threat match at Stand and Deliver between Ilya, Carmelo, and Trick. I think we might get there. I know for certainty we should be getting Melo and Trick at Stand and Deliver, but with the way and how for months you saw Ilya kind of being in between Mello and Trick it wouldn't make sense for this to be a triple threat but again we got weeks to build up for it 
uh, for stand and deliver. That could be the way of which they're going, but I'm going to wait and see because I enjoy what they're doing with Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes. Again, if you were to tell me last year, around this time, that Trick Williams was going to be challenging for the NAC championship and how Trick Williams was going to uh, be turned on by Carmelo Hayes. One, I would have believed the Melo going to turn on Trick. I would believe that because Melo is not a guy that's just going to be uh, the good guy. No, Carmelo Hayes, he looks like a bad guy. He looks like a pretty boy, bad guy, narcissist, ego, maniacal type of guy. I said that some years ago when he debuted and he was trying to be a good guy. I said, no, this guy looks like a legit egotistical bad guy in I'm glad they did what he was supposed to do because, come on now, when you look at Camilo Hayes, yeah, he's cool and all, but he looks like a bad guy, an egomaniacal guy. So they did the job with that. And uh, again, last year, if you would have told me that he would have turned on Trick, I would believe that. But if you would have told me that Trick was challenging for the NXT championship, I would say, you got to be kidding me. With what? But as you saw the progression from 2023 to now, you can see okay, how they did it, how Trick has progressed, how Trick has got to this meteoric rise to which he is in NXT, and how he did break out of Melo's shadow, and it would make you say, okay, now he deserves a championship opportunity. It makes sense. So again, I like the story in which they're going. I like it. And also, Allen adding Ilya the way that they did, I believe, in October-ish into this middle of Mellow and Trick for the breakup. It makes sense. So hopefully we may I might get a triple threat match between them as stand and deliver. That's just my hoping. But Mellow and Trick should get a match at stand and deliver, whether it be a triple threat or just them by themselves. It should be that case. The reason why I'm championing for the triple threat is because not only does it make sense for Ilya to have that, but I don't see right now on the NXT roster who can really, and I mean realistically and storyline-wise, really match up with Ilya right now. Right now, Braun Breaker, he's kind of busy with Baron Corbin as they're going after the D'Angelo family for the NXT Tag Team Championships, which they will get their match next week on NXT. So Braun's kind of busy. Obafemi, he's the North American champion, and right now he has to find someone to deal with. And again, he's a newcomer, so I don't think they really want to ship him up to that main event spot right now because if they wanted to they could have did that and had him cash in on Ilya with that um breakout tournament win but they didn't they had him do the North American title so right now again Obafemi no uh nobody from the catch quarter club no nobody with uh Brooks Jensen or Josh Briggs and there's no disrespect to those two guys but just no I don't see nobody else on the NXT roster so again Letting it be a triple threat match, a stand and deliver, I think that would be the best way to go about it. But we'll wait and see. Um, anything else happening on NXT? Nope. I think that's about it. So let me get you guys to your uh, matches that I think you should watch That from this week of wrestling. If you didn't see any uh, on Raw, I think you need to watch. The Fatal 4-Way Tag Matchup. It was a great tag team matchup. Again, it's DIY, Imperium, New Day, and the Kree Brothers. Go and watch that. On NXT, it's the tag team matchup of Malik, uh, Blade, Idris Anafe going against Nathan Frazier and Axiom. Great tag team match. Great tag team match. Malik, Blade, and Idris Anafe. They are starting to get some shine in NXT, and hopefully they will become NXT Tag Team Champions before this year is over with. Make it happen.
because they have been on the tag team radar spectrum for NXT for what now almost three years. Make it happen for this team. Do it. They have been improving and improving. It's the time. Do it now this year. Seriously. Uh, Nathan Frazier and Axiom, great tag team as well. But these two teams, they were able to just throw everything out and they were able to light a fire that I don't think people have seen from Idris and Malik in some time. So hopefully, again, they put the tag straps on those two before this year is over with. So again, watch this tag team matchup. Uh, AEW, the two matches, Darby and Sting going against uh, Big Bill and Ricky Starks to see Darby and Sting win the tag team titles. And the beginning of the match, well, the beginning of the show, uh, Hangman and Swerve. Again, 30 minutes of them just wrestling, and it's nothing but great wrestling from start of the bell to the end of the bell. Go and watch that. Uh, Impact. If you had to watch one match off of there, I would say probably the main event, uh, Alex Shelley going against Eddie Edwards, or if not that, probably Speedball going against Zachary Wentz. And on SmackDown, and again, it's another tag matchup. It is uh, Tyler Bate, Pete Dunn going against DIY, and just to throw a female in it matchup because they did have good chemistry, uh, Bianca Belair going against Mia Yim. Those are the matches that I would suggest you go and watch. If you did not watch any wrestling from this week, go and do that. Um, yeah, also, before I get you guys out of here, two things. One, before I get into the superstar uh, spotlight of the week, because we're Black History Month, I got to do that. Before I get to that, I do want to mention, and let everyone know, New Japan is having their uh, New Beginnings pay-per-view that's happening Sunday, early in the morning, if you live in America, um, on that pay-per-view card, you have Brian Danielson going against Zack Sabre Jr., and you have Will Ospreay. I believe this is his last time being in New Japan as a New Japan contracted professional wrestler. It'll be him and his United Empire guys going against David Finley and his Bullet Club War Dogs in a 5-on-5 uh, steel cage match in New Japan. I believe this is New Japan's first ever steel cage match over there. Go and watch those two matches on that card. I don't know the rest of the card, but those are the two matches that I personally am going to be watching to see how it looks because I like Brian Danielson. I like Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. I like their match that they had at uh, Russell Dream for AEW, so hopefully they're able to create that magic and even with more technique and technical stuff over there in New Japan. And with this being Will Ospreay's final appearance as a New Japan contracted wrestler on uh, New Japan. I think the steel cage match is going to be fire. I think there's going to be some blood in it. I can't wait to see it. And I would like to see who's going to basically be the guy to uh, rule as the leader of the United Empire since Will Ospreay is leaving New Japan. So that's something I wanted to talk about before I get over to the Superstar Spotlight of the Week. So now let me get over to that. Superstar Spotlight of the Week. Since we're in Black History Month, and again, I do got to give props to where I got this segment from and basically stole it from. Uh, I got it from a podcast called The Public Enemies Podcast. Again, it's three guys that talk about professional wrestling and they'll dabble into media here and there. But they're three guys who are great podcasters. You can tell the camaraderie that they have. Um, go and give them a listen. Check them out. Uh, but the superstar that I want to give spotlight to is... Uh, former professional wrestler Monty Brown. 
In WWE, he was known as Marcus Corvon. He only had a he was only there for a small cup of tea. But everybody will know him if you watch professional wrestling. I'll say in the early two thousands, like TNA, he was the Alpha Male Monty Brown. He was a different type of guy. He was able to bring the power. He was able to hit you with the speed of the pounce. And he was actually able to be on the cusp of being a TNA uh, World Heavyweight Champion. But I think, if I'm going to be honest, I think politics played a part in that. Because anybody that watched TNA at that time will say, why on God's green earth has Monty Brown, the alpha male, not been the TNA or NWA World Champion at the time? Monty Brown had everything you would want as a TNA heavyweight champion. He had the ability to be a strong guy in the ring. He had the ability to talk on the microphone. His character as the mount uh as the alpha male, excuse me, was different. I mean, my man acted like he was literally in the Serengeti at some points. I mean, he would just sniff up on the interviewer and then like act like he is an animal by rubbing his forehead into the microphone to wipe off the sweat. He would act like he smells fear on his opponents, basically saying how they're prey because he's the alpha male. He's the like big like animal and how this is his Serengeti and you are just his prey. I mean, Monty Brown was he was the guy in TNA that is like, dude, why? Why didn't you guys put the strap on him? That's always I feel for an early TNA watcher, you're going to say, why didn't you put the belt on him? Why didn't you? Because you saw all the great attributes that he had. It's just, I believe, management, they failed. Management failed Monty Brown. So when Monty Brown was on the cusp to win the TNA title, and he finally got his match against Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett screwed him, and he didn't win, and that kind of killed everybody. And We were all saying, why? So cool. Monty Brown, he doesn't win. He ends up going to WWE. And I said, okay, he's over there. Great. Monty Brown is going over to WWE. He turns into Marcus Corvon. He goes to ECW. Again, he keeps the same nickname, the moniker, the alpha male. He even does the little bit of like the Serengeti stuff, but he doesn't really get mic time, which was weird. You got him from TNA. You saw what he could do. You saw the type of mic skill that he has. But you don't allow him to talk that much. You put him in a group called the New Breed with Elijah Burke, great guy, better, I like him better as uh, the Pope D'Angelo De Niro, his time in TNA. Probably I'll do a spotlight on him next week, maybe, who knows, probably will. Um, you put him in, him in a group with Elijah Burke, Matt Stryker, uh, what's my man's name? Guy, Kevin Thorne. And again, Monty Brown, he's supposed to be the powerhouse, in which he is, because by God, his pounce is something different. The way that people sold it was genius, the way that it aligned with Monty Brown. And again, you could see where the trajectory was going for Monty Brown. It seemed like they wanted to do something with Monty Brown. You see like they wanted to kind of put him as the ECW World Champion, just give him a little bit more time, and he would have been ECW world champion, but a personal matter came up and he had to leave the professional wrestling business. And I respect Monty Brown for leaving the professional wrestling business to handle a personal issue. If you want to know what that personal issue is, you can go ahead and Google it. I'm not going to mention it on this pod, um, but I respect him for it. I really do. 
for someone that values family the way that I do, I drop everything at the bottom of a hat to take care of my family. I respect Monty Brown so much for that. And um, yeah, Monty Brown, I feel that he deserves his flowers. I suggest everyone, if you have not watched TNA before, and if you have or are starting to watch TNA now, go and just go to YouTube and type in TNA Monty Brown. And you'll see the interviews, you see the segments that Monty Brown is in, and you will see that, you will see at that point that Monty Brown should have been a world champion. You will see it, and you will start questioning, why was he not world champion? Why did TNA at that time not give Monty Brown the world title? Why? But again, Monty Brown, he deserves the praise, he deserves the accolades. I feel that Monty Brown needs that, um... He pops his head up here and there whenever you see him. I believe the last time I saw him was what? Not saw him, saw him, but like on social media, like in the professional wrestling realm of it was, uh, I believe it was Lance Archer going against uh, John Moxley. They even played a video package of Monty Brown on AEW, or if not AEW, it was like retweeted from AEW on their social media page. And that was the last time I saw Monty Brown, and he still looked at jacked like if he wanted to just come in here and there just to hit a pounce on someone he still could do it by god but um monty brown he deserves his flowers and i feel that he needs to get those type of flowers and i would like to see a cameo from monty brown in professional wrestling i really would whether it's in tna or popping up aew one time to hit people with a pounce or even popping up in wwe just to just hit a high and buy on someone that'd be great but uh, yeah, that's my spotlight of the week, Monty Brown and uh, the Alpha Male. And again, I just want to say thank you to him for giving off entertainment, even for the little bit of time he was in the professional wrestling business. Thank you. Now, having said that, this has been the Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. I want everyone to have a great Saturday, great rest of your week. Just want everyone to know, if you did not listen to my midweek episode, it is available to you right now. And also... It is almost Valentine's Day. Wednesday will be Valentine's Day. Get your stuff together. Get your stuff in line. Because if you do not have your stuff situated, believe me, your loved ones will have some words or they will have some actions towards you on Valentine's Day. And days after and weeks after, I don't think nobody should have to deal with that type of situation. So please get yourself together for Valentine's Day. And also... Uh, Sunday episode, it will be available to you tomorrow. I'll be talking about different things that happened in this week. Um, this week was pretty light, so it might be a shorter episode, but we'll wait and see about that one. Uh, yeah, that's about it. So, with that being said, again, enjoy your day, enjoy the rest of your week. You hear from me again tomorrow, or you hear from me again, uh, next this upcoming Wednesday for midweek or next Saturday. If you just like listen to me talk about wrestling or the wrestling highlights of the week. So with that, this has been Wrestling Houses of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by GE2. I love you all. Have a great day. God bless.